Absolute Zero by Robert B. Fitton. Episode 18, A Witness to a New Humanity. Day after day, Phillips and Darby had been questioned. Phillips had told them everything without hesitation, but Darby was obstinate, and they had to inject her with some type of truth-activating drug. The people in the Colossus now knew everything that Darby and Phillips knew about the past few weeks. He lay on his bed as someone knocked on the door. In walked a man named Lee, who had first led him to his quarters. Good morning, Mr. Phillips. Did you sleep? Are we finally getting out of here? asked Phillips. Yes, you are. And you'll be given some long-due explanations. Well, why are we here? You, sir, are a witness to history. A witness to a new humanity. I see you've changed your clothes, he said, referring to the yellow jumpsuit they had issued to Phillips. Not my choice of style. Where's Darby? I can't answer that question right now. We'll be on our way to meeting room A, above the Mac, he said as he motioned Phillips into the corridor. Mac, what is the Mac? asked Phillips as the door shut. I will let Dr. Sylvester and Jay answer your questions. Again, where is Darby? he asked as he looked around the corridor as they walked. Phillips could not understand why they were so deep under the ocean. Miss O'Malley is already in meeting room A, said Lee. Phillips nodded and they walked down to the core elevators, which quickly brought them up to a circular area at the connecting corridors. They climbed a spiral staircase adjacent to the room till they came to a door simply marked Meeting Room A. Lee opened the door and Phillips walked inside. Inside, looking out a small square window, was Darby O'Malley, also dressed in a yellow jumpsuit. She heard the door shut as she turned around. Gary, are you all right? I'm fine. What about you? They injected me with all sorts of things. I've been flying high for a week. They haven't let me sleep either. Music piped into my room at all hours. You, you look rested. Then you must have cooperated. They would have gotten the answers one way or the other. I hope I have some dignity, she said as she ran her fingers through her hair. I see you discovered the macriotic said a heavy-set man with a thick, gray-streaked brown beard. They turned around quickly. Excuse me for being sudden. I am Dr. Dudley Sylvester, he said as he walked over to them. What is microphonic? Said macrioic, said Sylvester. Main auxiliary control room for the outside and inside operations. Much easier to call it Mac, he said as he looked below. What's going on in this place, doctor? You'll have all your answers very soon. Phillips looked around the room, which could be compared to a planetarium, above a 360-degree dome. Why are we being held prisoner? You'll get that information in one moment, Miss O'Malley. Needless to say, the system we have here is the most sophisticated private system outside the communication companies in the world. Private? Cogni Foundation is a private institution, Miss O'Malley, he answered as if the fact were obvious. You mean to tell me the United States government is not involved in this monstrosity? Why are they letting it exist? People can be purchased, Miss O'Malley. We chased that truck over a thousand miles, when all we had to do is contact the FBI or even the police? I told you, people are paid off. Mr. Phillips overheard Jay's instruction on a feed to Mr. Beetlehouse. Most fortunate for us and most unfortunate for Mr. Crager and his negligence. He has been severely reprimanded. Jay is about to arrive and I would advise you of certain rules. Well, what rules are those? asked Darby. 
You will address her only as Jay. You must keep in mind that she has a very strong temperament and likes to have things done her way, so you will not provoke her. Finally, she's a very proud person and does not like to be touched. You will not touch her in any way, shape, or manner. What are we waiting for, the Queen of England? One of the men from the Colossus opened the door and held it as the mysterious Jay walked into the room as if she were indeed a dignified monarch. She wore a long green velvet dress, bare at the shoulders and a slit along the left leg. Although she wore a hair and a bun, she would not allow the curls to twist downward along the side of her dangling gold earrings. Fascinating any onlooker were her sprightly angled eyebrows, which radiated above her lively green eyes. Her face was slender with a straight nose and white frosted lips. An imposing figure, she moved across the room as Darby was about to cross-examine her. You have a question, Miss O'Malley. What are you doing with those bodies? Please, Miss O'Malley, there's no need to be crass. Everything will be fully explained and demonstrated. We don't care, said Darby. Why are you even bothering to show us anything? Why aren't we all dead? Don't tempt me, Miss O'Malley, she responded sarcastically with an evidence of a grin. Our first priority was to find out exactly how much you know and how much, if anything, anyone else knows. And what about Brian Carey? Are you responsible for what happened to him in the baseball game? Don't be so presumptuous. Mr. Carey has regained his consciousness and is now maneuvering about Miami. You haven't answered the question. And did your thugs shoot at us in Texas? Jay broke into a wide grin. You are here as witnesses. Don't you understand that? Outsiders. Testimony to what we are doing here. We will change the entire history of the human race here. Maybe the human race doesn't want to be changed, said Phillips. We are weeks away from going public with our research, and we can use you to soften the blow to the public, to try and kill Brian Carey. Gary and I were almost killed. You will call me Jay, Miss O'Malley. I have absolutely no idea who would make such an attempt, but I assure you it was no one at Cogni. Oh, yeah, no one at Cogni. Someone from the outside who you contracted, you paid off Grzynski. Miss O'Malley, Cogni is in the business of life, not death. If you will cooperate and let us begin our demonstration, we can show you in great detail what we are trying to accomplish at the Colossus. And if we don't, asked Darby arrogantly, well, we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? Aggression has always been a hallmark of the human race. We will wipe out aggression. We will wipe out dying. We will have men and women living forever. There will be no crime. There will be no hunger. There will be peace in the world. Controlled by you, Jay kept speaking. The Cogni Foundation itself has studied the problems of crime and homicide for decades, but nothing more concrete could stem the onslaught of all violence and decadence. That's why the problem was looked at from an entirely alternate perspective some years back. We create a whole new race of human beings. Let me be blunt, men and women are what they are in most cases from a conditioned behavior. Some people are born the way they are. I'm speaking basics here, and naturally, biological impediments can defy this general rule, but let me say we will stay within the realm of what I consider to be the general case. You people are so elite, you think you know all the answers, said Phillips. What we needed to do was to take individuals who are already seriously deviated from the guidelines of accepted behavior, 
and somehow, no matter how impossible, bring them back into the mainstream. To do this, we were forced reluctantly to begin with the most severe cases, murderers. What gives you the right to do anything? asked Darby. I beg your pardon, Miss O'Malley, why did you say that? asked Jay. I said, what gives you the right to alter people's minds or bodies or extend their life or whatever you're doing? Who voted you guardian of the human race? That is the most nonsensical question I have ever heard. You are a fool. We are working for a better world, free of crime, violence, and war. We are at a turning point in history, and you make such an impertinent remark. Let me tell you something, said Darby as she walked over to Jay and moved back as the guards moved forward. Don't worry, I'm not going to touch your precious body. Look, just because you have some great ambition for what you consider to be good, doesn't mean that it is good. You're altering the state of somebody's being. You're altering the human race. It would be like sewing an extra arm onto somebody just because you thought they weren't doing enough work. Crude, very crude examples. Preposterous, Miss O'Malley. I will have to ask you to please sit down and watch the presentation or you will be removed. Then remove me. The guards removed their guns and pointed them at, at Darby and Phillips. Sylvester pushed a button and a video shown on the screen. It was a basic schematic of the Colossus. This is the Colossus as it exists today, said Sylvester as he picked up a pointer and walked up to the screen. You're near the very top of the Colossus in meeting room A. I will not bore you with every little detail. That would not be necessary. Rather, my intention is to give you a general understanding of what we do. Sylvester's lecture went on for close to an hour. The subject of cryonics, the freezing of multicellular organisms, he said as Darby looked over to the spellbound Phillips. In scientific circles, the idea of freezing human beings in, or any higher form of vertebrates and bringing them back to life is considered a biological impossibility. No, but you decided to do it, didn't you? asked Phillips. You will refrain from outbursts liquids pumped into the circulatory system. body was then removed into a plastic pouch and surrounded by crushed ice and granular salt just touching the skin, producing a slow but very important formation of ice crystals until the body was brought down to a temperature of minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. final step is literally to put the body in a thermos enveloped by liquid nitrogen. Let me get this straight, said Darby. You're telling us all this because you want to bring people back from the dead. No. No, Miss O'Malley, we want to extend the lives of people. We want people to live forever. So the prisoners aren't dead. Oh, they were dead. They have been declared dead, but now they live. I think that is a dramatic accomplishment, unparalleled for the human race. Then you just freeze them, asked Phillips. I'm afraid you're jumping the gun, Mr. Phillips. As I said before, we must bring them back to life in order to begin our cryogenic procedures. If we could have faked the execution, we would have done that, but we couldn't. Why the Walsh truck, asked Darby. Why not a helicopter or a plane? It is not that simple, Miss O'Malley, said Jay as she stood up. When you ascend into the air, the air gets thinner. Even with a pressurized cabin, it's too risky. This whole thing is too risky, said Phillips. As Sylvester kept speaking, Jay, in her attendance, left the room. Phillips and Darby were silent at first. Let's give them a chance on this. A chance for what? 
to use us in whatever they choose? No, sir, not me. I'll tell you one thing. I'd rather die than let Jay... You'd rather die, Miss O'Malley? said Jay as her attendants brought her into the room again. One additional component here that will extend the human lifespan. With internal genetic structures, we were able to insert them into the human being. We have changed the genetic code. We have changed the way human beings evolve. Again, what gives you the right? Silence. We had no plans to research on convicted murderers. We wanted to use it in the most severe areas to control aggression until we found out that we could extend lifetimes. With the human genome changed, we were able to extend the life of a human being forever. Wouldn't that be acceptable to you, Miss O'Malley? No. Why under the sea? asked Phillips. We don't want any of our genetic experiments to be escaping out into the air. So this place is completely sealed up, plus you have the ocean, said Darby. You've anticipated my last area of discussion. This whole complex has been in isolation for almost three years. The general population will thank us once they realize that they can live forever. What if it does get out? asked Darby. It will not get out. If you're successful with all these experiments and it looks like you have been successful, how will you apply your findings to everybody else? Easily. We will let it escape. Once we are sure we have what we need, we will let it escape from the Colossus. We will now proceed below to the Azos area where you will see some of our experiments live and for real. The Azos was over 100 feet wide and quite high and extended across the B section of the Colossus. It was lighted in directly by intermittent green squares along the base of the walls and the walls themselves and the towering ceiling. Phillips was still trying to figure out Jade's indifferent personality, but his thoughts were soon redirected as he stepped into the corridor. Five rows of large round glass enclosures atop hourglass pedestals filled the far-reaching corridor like obedient soldiers, each glowed with a whitish-green color from its luminous interior. Jay and her attendant observed the astonished Phillips. He looked inside the first enclosure, but it appeared to be empty, a mass of twisted crystalline fibers, each glowing individually. This should help clarify things. These are actual human beings who are being prepared to live forever. Inside the enclosure was the frozen figure of an older man dressed in a tight-fitting orange garment. His eyes were open like ceramic glass pieces and his mouth contorted as if he was in the middle of speaking, trying to reach out to the unfrozen world. But he was frozen. Frozen solid minus 473 degrees according to Sylvester. Absolute zero. If he were going to transcend his icy world, he would have to do it through Jay and Sylvester's experiments. Phillips lifted the goggles and squatted down to read the large brass plate on the pedestal. Irwin, John W., October 6th, 1978. Irwin, I don't see how this is possible. It is possible. And all the prisoners, the prisoners, maybe you can call them guinea pigs, but the prisoners were the ones we experimented on first with the freezing. And then we have extended their lives after they have been killed. I don't see how this is possible, said Phillips, as he looked up to a Jay. Are you impressed, Mr. Phillips? Because I know Miss O'Malley isn't. He looks alive. 
In essence, Mr. Irwin is alive, and to further illuminate the point, we have coordinated our procedures for your benefit. You will be witness to the revival of James Willard Forrester, convicted murderer, who has been crystallized for 15 months. Forrester's enclosure is in the revitalization room at this very moment. The revitalization has already begun. You will be seeing him in the final stages of that revitalization, she said as she sashayed her head. How many people are in here? he asked. Thirty men from the executions and a few others, she said without turning around as they continued down the expanse. Phillips figured they could very easily fit several hundred people into these enclosures while they revived the previous ones. This is incredible. We have ample space, Mr. Phillips, for a large contingent of people. This area would be more than adequate if people were moved through here like a production line in a factory. Enclosures along the last 75 or 80 feet were empty and continued up to another stainless steel door at the end of the Azos corridor. It opened as they approached and they walked into a small room at the base of stairs. These stairs lead up to the observation gallery and the revitalization room, said Jay as she walked ahead of Phillips. I must say, this whole thing is extraordinary, said Phillips. And these men show no hostile behavior, no arguments, not a one. And they will not die. Please keep that in mind. I am. I am keeping that in mind. They need very little supervision. Now let us go down the end of the prisoner's area. Phillips gawked as they moved ahead. They looked at the human beings behind the glass. They looked like animals in a zoo as he followed Jay to the end of the corridor, near the door to the ramp. Dark draperies were drawn across the glass and several vases of exotic flowers lined the inside windowsill. On the top of the glass, sign and tape to the glass, Homo sapiens, natural habitat. Now that you know the outlines of our operation and not the details, Mr. Phillips, we will be heading back upstairs. I'm at a loss for words. This place is beyond words. Thank you, Mr. Phillips. We appreciate that very much, she said, as Dr. Sylvester led Phillips back to the main corridor. Steve will be in the corridor and bring you up to your room. I'll, I'll contact you later. Thank you, Doctor. I'll hear from you then, said Phillips as he walked toward the elevators. Sylvester walked over to a communication speaker and pushed the button. Yes, Dudley. He was thoroughly taken in by the entire demonstration, Jay. I told you he would be. But what about her, the little wretch? She's going to be an aggravation for us. We may just have to kill her. I agree, but what can we do? Confine her while Phillips is allowed out of his cabin. <laughs> she could change Phillips' attitude. Being confined away from Phillips, she's harmless. Join us next time for another episode of Absolute Zero by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.